0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Secret Language Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. I hope you've had a great week. I hope that things are well with you and your family and your life. Uh, This week, like I promised you, I have a cinephile survey with my good friend, Nick Weaver. Nick is a friend of mine that I have not known for very long. But uh, he's become a very close friend, and he has a lot of great opinions on movies. I mean, I'm telling you, we sat down at my kitchen table, and we recorded this podcast, and it came out to be like two hours long with just the raw recording. I was able to work it back into a reasonable length. I apologize to Nick on the front end for just having to cut out all the beautiful things he had to say to make this somewhat manageable. So I'm not going to waste any time, we're just going to jump right into this, because let me tell you, it is a gem of a podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: This is interesting
0: for me because I think out of everyone that I've done this with, you're the person whose movie taste I have the least to go on. So, like, this is going to be really educational for me. Um, Are there going to be any courtroom dramas?
1: You know what? I was thinking about that. I was like, Since... is there anything specifically legal? And I think there's one. There's only one specific legal movie I had on here, believe it or not. I wasn't one of those guys growing up that, like, loved legal dramas. Like, I'm not a law and order guy. I sort of stumbled into law school in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) So there are a lot more Disney movies than there are legal movies.
0: That's fine. I mean, there are no good movies about engineers, so
1: Mm. I get it. I'm all all about that. On every single one of your former podcasts, y'all are getting deep talking about, like, real significant like cinematic marvels i'm like you know i don't know if
0: i have many of those you didn't listen to my episode of <laughs> my brother then because that's the only one that, one that i did not listen to actually oh yeah max is all over the place but for the most part it's like it's it's they're all movie people the other four people i've done this with have all been like movie people so
1: yeah. i just came in from adam DeLoge talking about uh, uh, um tenant oh yeah cool i like your setup Oh, thank you. I, this makes me miss podcasting. Honestly, even just listening to you made me miss podcasting. Did you used to do that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, not very long. I did it in high school because I was really highly involved in digital media and journalism. Okay. And so I did everything. I tried to get a, a radio station. I did a lot of news stories. I did a little bit of short films, public service announcements. I did like hour long highlight film for our football team, like That's all right. kinds of stuff. And one of that was a podcast. We talked about worldwide stories, news stories, and then national stories, and then local to, like, Eureka (laughs) stories. And instead of wild cats, it was wild cast. I thought that was very very clever. No, that's good. That's really cool. And every Thursday, because Thursday was a late start day for us, I would drive from my house past Eureka High School, pick up Ryan and Mirasol turn around, come back to school, and we would talk with either another student or one of our teachers, and it was honestly fascinating. But it was way too much work for us kids who had other priorities, and so... Is there anywhere in the world that that still exists? You know, I wish. I have looked all over for it, but I think it was deleted. We had to end up, or Eureka had to end up firing our journalism teacher. And so when the new journalism teacher came in, there was a lot of turnover. And part of that turnover was a lot of the backups that we had when I was still in high school were gone. So all of my videos that I put countless hours of work into making and all of those podcasts gone makes me, makes me very sad.
0: Yeah. Anytime you look up, Wildcast, at least an Apple Podcast, you get the Arizona Wildcats and the Kentucky no. Wildcats. Yeah,
1: it was never an Apple Podcast. It was on what's the Podbean? No, it was the one where all the music is on. What's that called? Spotify? No, the other one where all the music is SoundCloud. Okay. It was exclusively on SoundCloud because so that's what we could embed on our website, but it has long been deleted. No. I would love to hear Ryan Keesing. Brother, nothing would make me happier <laughs> than find that. And then, when Ryan no longer wanted to be a part of it, I got Jake Smith to be a host for, like...
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: The conversations we had were just gold. Just gold. Oh, that's fantastic. Around Veterans Day, we brought in one of our teachers who was a vet, and we literally just happened him tell him war stories. That's... And this dude was, like, a sketchy war hero. Like, he was hinting about how the fact that he was, like, killed multiple people. We're like, oh, this is... Okay, thanks. Then he got real deep with us. He was like, "We're like, you know, as high school students, what can we do to honor our vets better?" And he was like, "You know, we don't need fancy parades. We don't need y'all flying flags. We just need y'all to be good people." And Ryan and I are sitting there like, "We didn't expect for it to get this deep." Thanks. Yeah, that's that's wild. That's that's really cool. It was fantastic.
0: Man, I'm so gonna have
1: to. I have no podcast Jacob. to plug, but.
0: I'll have to ask Jacob about it. That sounds really entertaining. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure he has some not-so-fond
1: memories of it. I'm sure Ryan has fond memories of it. You know, every I, I picked him up every Thursday morning, and he played the same song every time we got in the car. It was the Our Father, like the prayer, the Our Father, sung by an Italian gospel group. I'm sure you can find it. I'm pretty sure they're called Il Volo. Oh, (laughs) I'm going to substitute that as
0: the outro music. If I can find it, that's, that's going to be the,
1: Oh, it's fantastic.
0: (laughs) Oh, brother. So do you consider
1: yourself a movie person? You know, I was thinking about my answer to this beforehand. And I think the best answer I can think of is I'm not a movie person. I am a story person. Okay. I love good stories, like passionately love good stories. So, I read a lot of books. I don't watch a ton of television, but some of my favorite pieces of quote-unquote cinema I've ever seen have been television shows. Um, But I really do love movies. Not as much as you, I don't think. Though it's hard for anyone to say that. Yeah, I've got a problem. But I do. I really do love movies. My brothers do not, unfortunately... So I'm, like, the only one in my family that really loves movies other than, I guess, my parents. That's... And Lena really loves movies, but she really loves bad movies. <laughs> so we often have a clash between the two of us. I think there's a,
0: fine... <laughs> there's a good balance that comes with that. Like, I I like watching, like, video essays of people that, might like, have gone to film school and they talk about movies. Yeah. And one of the things they talk about in film school is, like, watch bad movies because you can probably learn more from that as to like, Hey, why doesn't this work? Mm. And as, as opposed to watching something really great and say, how, why is it good? Like, I don't know, but I can tell you why that's bad. Okay. We'll try fixing the bad things. Eventually will land on something good. So there's something
1: to that. Yeah. I often have to, after we watch a bad movie, point out to Lena. So do you see how the dialogue there is trash? Do you see how that character had no character development? <laughs> And now she, like, can't watch bad movies anymore because she sees these things and is like, oh, yeah, Nick right, there's no characters in there.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. So if you lightly consider yourself a movie person, what would you say is the movie that, like, got you into movies?
1: It's going to have to be The Lion King. Ah, oh, that's a good answer. I, I think I've seen Lion King many times. I've seen the stage production version. I've, you know, watched a movie many times and it wasn't until I think seventh grade language arts class that we actually did a whole study on the Lion King. What we were really studying was the hero's journey.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And it was the first time in my life that I saw a movie and was studying the actual story structure and I was like, wait a second. This isn't just, you know, fun lions running around. Obviously I wasn't studying the Shakespearean, you know, parallelist between the yeah, two. Yeah, I was
0: really expecting you to say in seventh <laughs> grade we studied Hamlet and you no. said we studied the Lion King. I was like, all right, cool. Alright.
1: <laughs> it, it was all about the hero's journey, figuring out, you know, the old normal, the inciting incident, the rising action, the climax, the falling actions, and then the resolution at the very end. And it just it blew my mind because you see it everywhere. We looked at that, oh, yeah. we looked at Shrek, we looked at You know, a couple of books I think we were reading and we realized all these stories have the same thematic elements or have the same story structure. And so now I see that in almost every movie I watch and it's incredible. And I think it actually elevates my viewing experience. I pointed it out to Lena at one point because apparently they don't teach this in schools anymore, which blows my mind. Because honestly, it feels like a fundamental thing. If you're studying stories in general, you would learn about the hero's journey. But I pointed it out to my wife, Lena and now every time we watch a movie together and like something really sad happens to the protagonist 15 minutes before the end of the film she'll just come over and whisper in my ear the fall
0: <laughs> cuz yeah. now she
1: sees it all over the place it's,
0: it's like there's the book there there's so many different versions of like the hero's journey you've got the one that i hear most is like the hero with a thousand faces it's
1: yeah and you don't have to do it to be a good movie but I grew up with a video camera in my hands. You you had a better luck of finding this than you have of finding (laughs) those podcasts. I had a YouTube channel with my buddies when I was real young, and we just put together like little skits Mm -hmm. and little short films, and they were just so bad. They were really bad, but they were funny. We thought we were geniuses at the time. We were staying up late at night, um, making movies, and I'd edit them on iMovie, and you know. We got half our videos pulled down for copyright because we used all (laughs) this copyrighted music in it. But it was so much fun. And it really wasn't, that was like elementary school. And it really wasn't until like seventh grade, I would say, that I finally understood like how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind. I'm like, wait a second. This is not just a story of a, a bunch of fun things happen to fun characters. You can actually compose it in the way that makes the audience feel something. Yeah. You know, Why do we care so much about Simba at the end of that movie? It's not because he's cute. It's because we're bought into his journey. And the structure does a lot to tell about that.
0: You talk about your choices not being very highbrow, but your analysis
1: thus far has been
0: <laughs> above average for sure for what we've done
1: on this. I like to pretend like I'm smart. <laughs> That's how I've gotten so far in school. Don't we all? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, make it till you make it. <laughs> there you go. So this is a
0: section of questions I like to call the superlatives because it's just the the most this, the best that, whatever. Are you a crier? Do you cry during movies?
1: I'm not a crier. You know. Our friend Ryan, he is an empathy crier, which means if anyone is crying around him, he will have to cry as well. Or he senses other people's pain and he feels bad and cries with them. That's just not me, you know? Everyone deals with grief and sadness differently. Not one of those guys. And so if you see me crying especially crying during a movie, you know something is touching me deep in my heart. So this question was tough for me.
0: Do you have anything? Like, is there any movie you've ever cried in? Or like <laughs> one above the rest?
1: I have a couple written down. The, the first one is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yes. And that's the movie that I've cried in most recently. Um, Lena was, I think, out of town. I think she was probably in Houston on a business trip. And I was hanging out with my parents and I watched it without her. And that was the first time watching it since I've been married. And now it really hits differently is it? because Harry Bailey and Mary Bailey are just the ideal couple. Yeah. They're so beautiful. And that story just really hits home about what is really most important in life. So I'm not gonna lie, when you know, he came back from the bank when he was supposed to be on his honeymoon and he goes into the broken-down house, and there's all the posters, the places that he wants to travel, and she's standing there by the table. It's Man, cool. it It kills beautiful. me. Cool. And my best movie that I have written down for the cry section is Christopher Robin. Have you seen uh, Christopher Robin? I,
0: I'll be honest. I fell asleep through it. It was like at the holidays, and you know, <laughs> you're just kind of generally tired. I remember really liking what I saw of it. Yeah. And now, I did like what I saw. I What I did see out of Christopher Robin, I did cry at. So, I didn't even get the whole
1: story. So Well, I'm a huge Disney nerd. I've been to the parks many, many times. I grew up with it. So, it's a core part of my childhood. And I'll get into that a little bit when we talk about uh, the nostalgia part. But, seriously, watching Christopher Robin, I loved Ewan McGregor to begin with. You know, him as Obi-Wan is everyone's childhood Oh, hero. come on. But... Watching him in that movie interact with like a live action version of Pooh Bear, it just should not work. On paper, it doesn't make any sense, but then you watch it and it just hits every part of your childhood. It's so pure, like yeah. But Christopher Robin hit me at a time when I was Christopher Robin as an adult. You know, as a twenty something watching that movie and realizing, like Christopher Robin, I'm not a kid anymore but my childhood still shapes who I am and guides my understanding of the world. You know, the, the Bible specifically says that, you know, we can't get into heaven unless we have the faith of a child. Yeah. I think that applies to other areas of his life as well. If we have the perspective of a child more often. I think we'll see things a little bit clearer in life. And that's what Christopher Robin taught me.
0: What's the funniest movie you've ever seen?
1: Okay. So there's this little indie film by some unknown director, I forget his name, called Talladega Nights, <laughs> The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And let me tell you, if you haven't seen Talladega Nights, you're missing out because this movie is fantastic.
0: That's a Jake Smith answer right
1: there. <laughs> in all honesty, Will Ferrell is the best. Will Ferrell is generally an actor I try not to watch. Mm.
0: He's not as bad as There are others that I'm just like, if they're in a movie, odds are I'm not going to watch it. It's like people like Mark Wahlberg,
1: The Rock. Yeah, where I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I like The Rock, but sometimes when you get some of those big name actors, you just can't see anything but the actor yeah. in the role. And Will Ferrell is definitely one of those. And this maybe is the most underrated movie of all time.
0: I really Eurovision
1: like that one. is hilarious. I really like that one. It is so funny. It is surprising on every turn. The music is surprisingly incredible.
0: It had an Oscar <laughs> nomination for best original song. Did it really? Yes, the Husevic
1: song. Oh my god! It's actually really good. Husevic is incredible. Do you like scary movies? So I don't like scary movies. Neither do I. Not not a fan at all, honestly. Haven't seen very many. The few I have seen, I've seen both chapters of It, which I went to the first one with this girl that I kind of liked at the time. And one of our other buddies who also liked the same girl. So this girl is like sitting in between me and my buddy. And we both kind of had a crush on her. You know, her. perfect love. So we were like uh, both trying to like comfort her <laughs> and all the chumps and everything. So I had to really put on my brave face read that movie. But I, I really enjoyed them. I've also seen Get Out by Jordan Peele. I don't mm-hmm. know if you would consider that a I horror think, movie.
0: But. I think in like – broadly that one often does get considered a horror. I'd yeah. I'd maybe call it more of a thriller, but it definitely has a lot of horror elements to it. Yeah. I wouldn't argue with it at all. I really the question here is like what's the scariest? What scared you the most? It doesn't even have to be a horror movie.
1: Yeah, I'll say yeah. shout out to Toy Story 1. <laughs> I don't know why, but Sid scared the poop out of me and his little messed up toys like, I love Toy Story 2, 3, and 4 with a passion, but I still to this day don't really want to watch Toy Story, no. the original, because I just don't like Sid. But I, now, see, I've grown since then. I didn't watch any horror growing up. I do like the thrillers. Like, I loved Key and Peele. I watched Key and Peele yeah. for so long, and I love the stuff they're doing nowadays. Keegan-Michael Key with his acting career and Jordan Peele with his directing career. He's, he, he is he's doing something right now. Who would have thought
0: out of him like really so would you say what like what would you lock in as
1: your final answer as as the scariest movie yeah it's it's between it chapter 1 and get out but i guess i'll probably go it chapter 1 that one actually wasn't even that bad of a movie no it wasn't scary i mean it was it wasn't
0: horribly scary but like even just as a movie it kind of holds up pretty well it's not oh, just slight. like poor it's not poorly written and it's like it's it's actually got something going for it
1: I, I really love it. And I liked it. Chapter two, also up until the very end, when it got like very mystical. And I know the book; it's very mystical. It's like a world in the yeah. back of a turtle, and it get it gets really weird. But I, there's something about the characters because it's not really about the clown. Once I think there's a theme to some of my answers where there's a movie about something, but it's really about something else. It's not about know? what
0: happens; it's about what it's about. Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: there's a deeper message of it's truly trying to convey and it conveys it very well it is not about you know the clown it's not about pennywise it's about it's a coming of age movie really it's about kids trying to find themselves and overcome their own demons like inside of them and mm-hmm. their own fears and they do it like in the form of this external demon but in many ways I think all of us as kids had a pennywise that we had to fight off
0: yeah no that's that's <laughs> that's really well said that's that's really pretty What's what's the prettiest movie you've ever seen? This is one that's, I guess, a little more like... It's a kind of vague. kind of just depends on what your personal aesthetic
1: is, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite movie of all time. It's got to be Lincoln.
0: Really? I, I didn't know that
1: was your favorite movie. Love. I love Lincoln. I watched it recently because I was just feeling down. And afterwards, it just took everything away. It, that movie... I could talk for a whole hour just about Lincoln. I love it. But specifically, referring to your question, it is beautiful. Every single frame, in my opinion, looks like it could be a, either a historical photo or a painting. And he, Steven Spielberg was so intentional of the way that he crafted every scene. Before I even saw the movie, I remember an interview that he did talking about the Gettysburg Address. And by the time the movie takes place, the Gettysburg Address had already happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, you know. They begin you know, with the, with the soldiers reciting it. Yeah. Yeah. And he talked about, he's like, I really wanted to do the Gettysburg Address and include it because it's part of his legacy. But I wasn't sure how I was going to incorporate it. And so going into the movie, I was like, I'm specifically going to look for the Gettysburg Address, like how he did how yeah. it. And then the f- opening shot of the whole movie, you're in the middle of a battle and it's just ugly. It is ugly as can be. It's men literally choking out their brothers in mud and rain and it's dirty and grimy. And I dislike war movies, but that's just like a minute or so of war just hits you in the brain. Like, oh, this is the situation. And it sets your mind for the rest of the movie to come because you see these people are so passionate to end the war. You know, why are they so passionate to end the war? Well, you saw the war in the very beginning. You know what they don't want to do. You know what they want to prevent. And then immediately after that scene, you get into Lincoln sitting there talking to some of the soldiers. And you get a couple of white soldiers who try to impress Lincoln and recite the Gettysburg Address, and they end up failing. And then there's just one black soldier who recites it perfectly from memory. Yeah. And between the shot of the battle and him reciting it, you realize why this is happening. The horrors of war contrast immediately with what we're fighting for. And it it just blows my mind, blows my mind. And then the prettiest scene probably of all is towards the very, very end. Lincoln is dead. He's shot and he's on his deathbed. And you just see Daniel Day-Lewis completely pale, white as a ghost. His corpse literally just laying mangled on his bed. And then it's completely dark. It's like pitch black all around him except for the bed that's lit up. And you see all the men around there with their hats off Mm and their hands. And they're just looking down sad at him. And it literally looks like a painting. It's it's beautiful. What movie gives you the most nostalgia? Uh, I guess I have two answers here. Childhood nostalgia. I wrote down Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., and Lilo and Stitch. Mm -hmm. Um, We already talked a lot about Toy Story. Monsters, Inc. was just one of those movies you always watched growing up. I remember when Monsters University came out, and during the opening credits, um, they did all the doors flipping, and the words, and the snake that was going through, and they were playing the original theme, and I just got hit in the childhood, and I start crying (laughs) during the opening credits of Monsters University, I'm like, man, this is going to be a long night if I'm already crying in the beginning, so. I just love that movie, and it holds up so well. It's just as good when you're older as it is when you're a kid. Um, You see it totally differently. And then Lilo and Stitch, for so many reasons. I loved the show growing up. Uh, I had anger issues as a kid, and so I relate to Stitch so much. Um, The line, you know, Ohana means family, and family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. I don't know
0: anyone that can't quote that line.
1: It's absolutely incredible, and... When I was watching that movie with then-girlfriend at the time, Lena, we had our first kiss during that movie. So, Ooh. I, <laughs> hey, there's nothing more romantic than sitting down and watching that's, Lilo and Stitch. That movie
0: brings me so much joy, really. I love... That's one of my favorite Disney movies. It's it's
1: perfect. So, I love my Disney movies and callbacks to all of my childhood. But the the better answer I would say, to <laughs> I thought of later, is... Oh, Brother, War Thou. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is a that is a movie and a half. Yeah. Uh, my dad loved that movie in college and showed that movie to me at a young age. And then we started at school a little bit. The parallels it had... Um, to the Odyssey. To the Odyssey, yeah. To Homer. <laughs> and it's so good. I remember me and the boys in like middle school and high school used to go down to the lake like every weekend, felt like, and go camping. And we used to just... like. And the weekends, like have little barbecues. Back when like none of us knew how to cook, so it was probably trash food. But (laughs) we thought we were really gourmet with our barbecue, and we just play Oh Brother Where Thou soundtrack on repeat. Yeah, it's another one of those movies. Like it's funnier as you get older.
0: The Big Rock Candy Mountain. Man, that's the song. (laughs) That's a
1: that's another fantastic call-out.
0: That's a great movie. Who was your first celebrity crush?
1: Megan Fox. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how you could be a kid and watch the first Transformers movie and not have a crush on Megan Fox. You see, I didn't. That's why. That's really? I, yeah, I, I've never seen Transformers. Okay, but well, there's your problem. Yeah, that's well that's uh, Transformers is a bad movie. Actually, the first Transformers isn't the worst movie, but they get significantly worse, progressively as, worse. As, you, as you go yeah. on. But yeah. Megan Fox... And man, who's the main character in the first? Shia, movie? LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, love Shia Buff, Love holes. Poor guy. <laughs> that that first Transformers movie was just like so early two thousands, Lincoln Park soundtrack, oh. Michael Bay, everything exploding. And as what a eight year old, ten year old, you're like, this is the peak of cinema. This is. And then you saw Megan with. Fox, and you're like, everyone in elementary school, at least where I went, all of my friends were like. If you talked about, like, the stereotypical hot girl, it was Megan Fox immediately. You know something funny? What's that? Do you have a current celebrity crush? Um, I'd say, honestly, it's probably Saoirse Ronan. Look at that. Look at that. Look what I have written down. <laughs> you did <laughs> you not kidding? say Saoirse Ronan. I did. My boy!
0: <laughs> I was about to, like, you probably don't know who that is. No!
1: Yeah. My current celebrity crush is Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. How brother hey man how you doing (laughs) (laughs) i mean our wives are fairly similar so maybe we just have similar tastes megan fox is like your stereotypical like childhood (laughs) celebrity crush but as an adult your taste gets a little bit more refined Refined, and that's where the search of Ronin comes
0: in if you could watch one movie for 24 straight hours like just this hypothetical situation what movie would you put on
1: to just watch on loop so, I had a couple different ways to approach this question. I it's, know you're guessing in the past, I've had some weird takes on this question.
0: It's a challenging one. I kind of want to like test it. If there's ever a weekend that Sarah's out of town, I would try. I would I would think to try to sit
1: down for a whole Saturday and just put on the same movie over and over again. I can't imagine you would enjoy that, but. Uh,
0: that's kind of why I want to test it. It's like, would it be that bad?
1: Probably. Well, it depends what movie you pick, right? Which is why <laughs> this is an interesting question. Not. My best answer is, with Hugh Jackman I just talked about, Les Miserables. Really? One, it's almost three hours long. Two, I love the music. The music is just incredible. Lena and I watched it for the first time fairly recently, I think this summer, and it just blew my mind. It was, the music was so good, and just after that first watch, I'm like, I feel there's so many things that I missed, and... With it being as long as it is, I genuinely think I could watch it four or five times in a row and just enjoy the music yeah. and spot things I missed before and go through with it.
0: What movie do you most want to see in a the theater?
1: I interpreted this as what movie you could go back and see in a the theater again. That'll work.
0: I, I it's I don't think I I don't think I intended it to be open ended, but when people say that's the way they take it, I'm like, perfect. Tell me about your favorite experience in a the theater. I'm cool for
1: it. I don't know if there is a better experience ever in a theater than Avengers Endgame. I genuinely don't know how anyone who has watched even half the Marvel movies can see the portal scene and not get emotional. Just just think for a second about what Marvel did here. Oh, it's incredible. It's
0: nothing short of amazing.
1: You know, their whole... Series leading up to that point is incredible, but just specifically on the fact that they released Avengers Infinity War, which is like the biggest crossover of all time, and all these characters who just get demolished. Right? We loved Empire Strikes Back growing up, and mm-hmm. we thought Empire Strikes Back, the ending, was the biggest cliffhanger of all time. And at the time, it probably was. You're like, the villains won? Who is Luke's father? His hands cut off? Man. The dark side really won there, doesn't come close to Thanos snapping away half the universe and yeah. watching our favorite characters literally go to ash. And then they left us like that for a year. <laughs> they just didn't say anything. They just yeah. dropped
0: that and left And didn't they release like Ant Man and the Wasp in between? Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) Then they put that out there, like, hey, here's this Ant Man the Wasp and Captain Marvel both came out in between those two. That's right. And Captain Marvel was okay, but then Ant Man the Wasp was like good, and the post credit scene was just all of them going to ash as well, and it was just, I mean, I don't know how you. Everyone went into Avengers Endgame, like, where are we gonna go? Yeah. What in the world are we gonna do? And then. They kept all the core Avengers alive, took them back in time of a tour through all the other films. It does what No Way Home did, which it elevated all of the prior movies, which is something that's extremely hard to do with any sequel, is make the original better Mm -hmm. after watching the sequel. But you watch Endgame, and every single Marvel movie before it gets better because of Endgame. And then like I said, the portal scene is just unmatched when yeah. everyone in the theater is just going crazy. And Captain America picks up Thor's hammer for the first time and everyone's yeah. going wild. I mean and then the the final snap at the very end and you get to see him pass away. This character who from two thousand eight to twenty eighteen, like dominated the box office for a decade in Robert Downey Jr. Like It's it's, it's incredible. It was it was as powerful of a movie experience as i think we're gonna get for a long time i mean it's one of the highest grossing movies ever so just in general it reached a billion dollars in five days five (laughs) days in less than a week that movie reached a billion dollars
0: what's your favorite opening in any movie
1: opening scene what takes you away the greatest opening scene i would say of any movie Can you guess what I'm going to say? I mean, I've got my definite answer, but that... No, no. Think about me. What do you think I'm going to (sighs) say?
0: See, you've been so all over the place. You've been like
1: Lilo and Stitch, Lincoln. (laughs) I have no idea. That's my personality. (laughs) That's what I bring to the
0: table in life.
1: It's, It's the Godfather. Okay. The greatest opening scene of all time in the Godfather is it's a super dark room. And the camera just slowly pans forth. And you see someone sitting across the table from Don Corleone. Yeah. And it just starts right over his shoulder. So you see some guy talking to him. And he's sitting there. He's petting his cat. He's all dressed up. And he's just listening intently. And it just slowly zooms in on his face. And that original like line ends. Just that long one shot with, like, I need you, Don Corleone. You're the yeah. only one that can help me. And immediately, right off the bat, you get the sense of power, the sense of respect, the sense of tradition. I mean, that just, it just brings you in. You're like, who is this guy? What is the dynamic? And the rest of that scene is even better when it gets into another guy and he's asking them to kill um, these boys who beat up his daughter. Which you would think, like, you heard a woman, like that's the death penalty. Yeah. But you realize, okay, this guy's not like a villain. Like, I'm just going to kill everyone. He's very intentional about like, I'm not going to, your daughter is alive. Killing them would not be justice. Yeah. Like, I may be a mobster, but like, I have a sense of morality. I'm not a mobster. I'm a mobster. I'm not a monster. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. And I'm a Sicilian American. Um, My grandfather was a first generation Italian immigrant. And so, we take a lot of cultural pride in The Godfather because yeah. it fairly accurately portrays Sicilian Americans. Like, if you watch the wedding scene, all of those daughters, the music and everything, that, like, was my mother's childhood. I'm I have pictures sure. of her growing up in, like, those pink dresses that yeah. look directly out of that movie. That's a... It's a cultural movie at this point.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember
1: when I turned, like, six, 15 or 16, my... Dad and my grandfather sat me down and they were like, You're finally old enough to watch The Godfather. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is an experience. And my dad told me specifically before it started, he's like, I want you to watch a movie and I want you to think, Are you a Sonny, a Michael, or a Fredo? Don't be Fredo. No, never be Fredo. <laughs> Whatever side Fredo. you fall on, don't be that <laughs> one. That yeah. one's no good. No. But I went into that movie like and from the opening scene it just ensnared my yeah attention. It took, you know, my imagination. And I wrote paper I wrote a paper for college like dissecting, you know, Michael Sonny and Fredo. Um and the transition of Michael from this kid that wants nothing to do with the business to becoming the godfather. Yeah. It, it pretty much is a perfect movie. That's probably oh, it's, my it's favorite movie of all time. If I had to give really one answer of my favorite movie of all time, it would probably be The Godfather for many reasons. But that opening scene is... It, it does everything very well. It's very simple. Yeah. But it
0: teaches you so much. Yeah. Despite its simplicity.
1: The best thing an opening scene can do, I think, is set the tone. Yes. And that movie sets the tone you watch that first scene you know exactly what you're getting into that's a good one what movie surprised you most
0: this is the most open-ended question so i'm curious always curious how people take this one
1: so once again i have a couple answers i know this podcast has probably gone long so i apologize to you i don't care I (laughs) i got a lot of things to say and i like talking about movies so Sorry to whoever. No, that's why that's why I like doing this. Like I like
0: doing this. This
1: is not a problem. I wrote down Monty Python and the Holy Grail because I had never seen this movie in my entire (laughs) life, and I had no desire to see it. I am not (laughs) one of the. This is not my style of humor. I was not into it at all. And then literally one random night, I'm sitting at my parents' house, and Leo's like, "Yeah, it's actually pretty good." And so I was like, all right, let's turn it on. And that movie is so funny. It's okay. Just so I thought dumb. I thought you were going it's to hilarious. sit here
0: and like continue to say, I don't want to see it. I never want to see it again. I think it is one of my favorite movies. Like it's it's one of the funniest yeah. movies I've ever seen. That is like my brand of comedy. It shocked me
1: after I saw it. I was like, where has this been my whole life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is yes. And it's one of those movies that understands exactly what it is. I don't know if you're going to ask at one point my favorite ending to a movie. Oh, did I skip that yeah, one? Yeah, I think you did. Oh, we'll get to that one. Okay, right. we'll get to it. But this was a contender for that question <laughs> yeah. as well. Yes. Because I was like, man, when they're all, I'm like, how in the world is this stupid movie going to end? And then they're charging the castle and they all just get arrested. They roll and up. And just like the, that, it's
0: over. They roll up in the paddy wagon and cut to black. You're like, all right, cool. That's but, but perfect. What a, be- I mean, you couldn't think of a better way to end
1: that movie. No, you could not. Like no. it's, it is perfect. From like halfway on, I'm like, where's this going? And the answer is, it's going nowhere. And that's it, the best part of it. It's
0: I mean. That is like, movies like that are the the kind of movies I find the funniest. Like I just, I love it. So yeah. we can backtrack. Uh, what's your favorite ending to a movie?
1: The Usual Suspects. Mm, that's a good one. The, the Usual Suspects is one of those movies where you watch it the first time and you kind of follow and you pr- pretty much understand what's going on, and then you get to the twist at the end. And there's only so much you can say without spoiling it for anyone, but the twist at the end is something that
0: it's as good stick, as me. it
1: sticks in your mind. And it's the I think it's the only movie where I genuinely went back on YouTube. A couple times a week for the next couple months afterwards, and just watch the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Because you just want to feel like you felt when you watched it the first time it's... again. It's one of my favorite movies to show people. As long as you can get someone who can actually pay attention and is invested in it, like the best person I ever showed was our mutual friend Jake Smith. And yeah. watching his reaction at the end of Usual Suspects was great. Uh, I'll also give a shout-out to the worst ending to a movie of all time, La La Land. No! Absolutely. That is so wrong. Absolutely. I so disagree with it's, you. It's bad. I, I love the movie La La Land. I agree with you that it's a near-perfect movie. But then they ruin it at the end, unfortunately. Because I'm someone who believes in true love. And I believe in finding your person. And to me, it's a tragedy. Some people say, "Oh, it's so happy!" Like, oh no, the, they, the film is
0: definitely a tragedy. It's, it's a tragedy. But the the, th- the thing with it is that they don't tell you it's a tragedy when you show up. <laughs> that's I think that's part of it. Like, and I I would agree with you. Like, I agree with like finding your person, and I believe in true love. Yeah. And that's why I like that movie is because that's not who that like Mia is not for Sebastian. Like that is not how those two are not good for each other and the film shows you that like Mm. they love each other at first like any other you know romance like you love each other and it's great and everything's beautiful but for them to pursue their dreams and to be the people they want to be it doesn't work with each other Mm, i disagree and see i i find a lot of beauty (laughs) in the fact that they don't end up together Mm. so like i love it for the same reasons you hate it like Mm. that's I can understand why you'd think that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm totally okay with anyone saying that, but.
1: And I'm partially kidding, obviously, because I know you love that movie. And I also love this movie. I think La La Land is an incredible, incredible film. And I love all of the music in it. And going back to my proposal, the whole morning of, I was playing the opening song to La La Land when they're all dancing on the cars. Yeah. Another day of sun is a fantastic (laughs) song. And I was blaring that song all morning as I was getting ready to propose. But. There's something about the end of that movie where you see people that in my eyes chased a career and a dream as opposed to changing happiness, chasing happiness yeah. or chasing love, which to me is just the wrong message to send. And I get it's a tragedy and like you can enjoy a tragedy for the piece of art that it is. And I do enjoy, I do love La La Land. Um, now it's the same way- reason that I don't enjoy Gatsby as much as I mm-hmm. would have because once again, it's a tragedy. Yeah, it's and, one of my favorite books. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite books, and I love the movie even more than the book, in my opinion. The the two thousand one version. Yeah, two thousand one. I don't know the version. with, Not with Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, it wasn't two thousand one. Yeah, that's way off. Dude. Yeah, That's it, a horrible guess. It's more
0: like I want to say like two thousand fourteen or so, because it was yeah. it was around the same time we read it in high school. Mm. At least I read it in high school.
1: But. Yeah.
0: See, I think your your point about chasing. Like a career instead of like happiness that that would be true if the film was set anywhere besides la like that is like where why do you go to la to chase your dreams and
1: like no well, i'm sorry you should sure. cut that out sure no,
0: no but like if, if the film was set in like anywhere else you'd probably it would probably take a different tone yeah which is why i think it's part of the reason that it's called la la land instead of in in any other way related to the plot like yeah it's because of the location that the people act the way that they act because i don't know i do love that movie though that was the first movie sarah and i ever saw together in theater really yeah that movie came out the winter of uh, 2016 we started dating in november she saw it over winter break with a friend and she's like, oh, this was really good. You need to see it. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't like musicals. I don't do them. Mm. She said, No, this one's really good. We went and saw it together, and it's one of my favorite movies. Like
1: top three. Mm. Easy. You know, that's a great story. I wish I wish <laughs> that Lena and I had seen a better first movie in theaters. I'm forgetting the name of this horrible movie we went to on our first date, mind you. It it's like another chance or something like that oh my goodness what is it called you know who's in it yeah it stars the girl from pitch perfect mm, robo wilson no nope. anna kendrick yeah it stars anna kendrick and they're like drinking martinis the whole movie it's, it's such a weird movie
0: what do you did you guys start dating? Uh,
1: like 2018 2019 Okay, a simple favor. A simple favor. That is exactly oh, what it's
0: yeah, called. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: This movie is weird. Let me tell you, it is so weird. And to actually tell you how weird it was would be to spoil some of the few things about it that are enjoyable. So I literally can't say anything other than this movie is extremely weird, and it's not a first date movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,
0: not yeah, not what I'd probably peg as a first date movie. That's no. Cool. Absolutely not. But we went and saw it. So this goes kind of back to some things we've talked about in a way. What is a generally regarded bad movie that you really just love?
1: Have you ever seen Hoodwinked? A very, very long time ago. Okay. It's a it's a fairy tale movie. Yeah. It's very strangely it's, animated. Not your normal style of animation.
0: It's like three D animated, and it's. It's like a cop story, right? It's like kind of... Oh, yeah. Kind of a type it's of like thing. this,
1: yeah. Mystery, bandit, stealing all the goodies in the forest, and you have to follow Little Red Riding Hood, and, mm-hmm. you know, Granny is actually like a ninja, and there's a big bad wolf, and uh, Lumberjack, who's an actor. Just one of the weirdest movies of all time. Yeah. I don't know if you call it a bad movie, but it's incredible. Let's see. It is so good. How does it score? Tell me what the what the people
0: think about it. now the Metacritic score gives it a forty five, so that's pretty bad.
1: Yeah, well, they're wrong. No, like that, <laughs> that is like the perfect kind of movie to say, yeah, it's not good, but boy, do I like it. No, it's not good, but it was a cool classic in my family. We will watch it on like every road trip. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. Some of the jokes in there are still like references that my family and I pull from. Uh, also, give a shout out to the movie Sharknado. Have you seen any of the Sharknado movies? Not. So these, you know, came out on TV and they were genuinely really bad movies. But I remember we're sitting in a Chinese restaurant and my dad says, I heard about this movie on the radio that's going to be on TV tonight. It's crazy. It's called Sharknado. It's about sharks that get sucked up into a tornado and they're blown all over the land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so we sat down as a family and we watched it and it was horrible. But my family is one of some of the most sarcastic people you will ever meet. They all think they're comedians. And so we were literally just ripping jokes the whole time watching this movie and making fun of it and just laughing our butts off. And my mom was like calling things that were going to happen later. And the dialogue was so cheesy. It was funny. And all the actors were taking it so seriously. And they ended up making like six or seven Sharknado movies. Because that was right around the time where I first got Twitter. And so I got to go on Twitter and see everyone's reactions and memes (laughs) live. Because the whole world is watching this movie at the same time since it came out on TV. And it was just gold. So every year after that, when the new Sharknado came out, my mom would get like, shark gummies and ocean themed <laughs> snacks. We would just sit and rip this movie. They ended up traveling through time and they ended up dispersing the tornado by dropping a bomb in it. It's just like yeah crazy stuff. But it's horrible and I i love it a lot. That was a special place. I'll probably never watch it again as long as oh. I live.
0: You can't ruin it. Because you can't recreate that yeah.
1: moment with your family, and I don't recommend anyone else watch it, unlike Hoodwings, where you should watch, don't watch Sharknado, but to me, it's got a special place in the heart. You know, it's wild.
0: I dated a girl back in high school whose older sister is like a extra in Sharknado 3. Oh. Which is a really, like, random, crazy <laughs> pull there, but... You brought it up, so I was like, hey.
1: I don't know if that's a red flag or not. <laughs> I got one for you.
0: <laughs> okay, the opposite of that question is, what is a generally regarded good movie that you just don't get
1: it? Why I don't, You don't understand
0: why people like it. It's just it, you don't think it's any good.
1: Yeah, I've got two. First is my cheap answer, which is Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I am one of the biggest Star Wars fans you will find. Like genuinely obsessed. I know way more than I ever should. I've read a bunch of Star Wars books. Mm -hmm. Still watch all the TV shows. Watching the book of Boba Fett right now. Like I really, really love Star Wars. And I don't know if you would call The Rise of Skywalker a good movie or not. But it's, you know, big budget, made a lot of money at the theater, so I guess it depends on your status Successful,
0: good. critically...
1: Yeah. yeah, I don't know what critics, I'm yeah. sure the audience hated it, but... Oh, the audience... Genuinely, definitely genuinely it. hate that movie. Let's so see. that's my, my cop-out answer. My real answer, which will get some people upset, is The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. The first I'm, Lord I'm of here her to movie. hear it. Let's, let's hear it. Why is that... I have tried to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy more times than I can count. Because like I said, I love Star Wars, I love Harry Potter, like big fantasy guy. I loved swords and dragons and all the kind of nerdy stuff growing up. Like this is right up my alley. I should love the Lord of the Rings. I probably tried to watch The Fellowship five or six times and I fell asleep during it. Every single time.
0: Getting through the first hour of that movie is really challenging.
1: I think it's too long. Genuinely, nothing happens in that movie except they just walk the whole time. If you
0: can get to the part where they make it to the elves, if you yes. can make it that far, if you can get to
1: Rivendell, mm-hmm. then like. And I never had, made it. I never had until I finally watched it. Getting there is hard. Yeah, I watched the whole trilogy this summer for the first time because I had too much free time, and I'm like, I'm finally going to do this. And you're right, once they got to the elves, and but even towards the end of that movie, and they split up, and that's just like the end, I was so frustrated. I'm like, genuinely nothing, the plot really doesn't move forward much. I mean, I guess, you know, the whole, you know, Gandalf Stuff happens, dying. happens, but not much like, happens, yeah. There's a couple like really great moments in that movie, but other than that, I just find it extremely boring. Yeah, I don't think it was very entertaining, to be honest with you. And I compare that to the Two Towers and The Return of the King, which were incredible. I'll be honest; I finally finished the trilogy, and I watched Return of the King, and like some of those final battles, and I was so invested, and it was so so good. Best picture. And I was mad at The Fellowship of the Ring because I'm like, you boring beginning robbed me of this end for so long. And this summer I also thought it'd be a good idea to try to read the Lord of the
0: Rings. Oh, it's impossible.
1: And it's so hard because the beginning
0: is so boring. I can't even listen to the audio audiobook. I've tried it. I, that is not necessarily a hot take
1: for me. No, I yeah, I man.
0: get it. I'm So I
1: mean I get the Lord of the Rings love. In fact, I was a little obsessed with Lord of the Rings after I finished the trilogy because like the lore is incredible, the story is great, the characters are rich, but I just do not like the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, and I, you know, that's probably the best movie adaptation you could make. Oh, like there's nothing sure. you could do to improve that movie that would make it better in my eyes. But no. the story is just lacking no. in my eyes. I just did didn't enjoy it. I ever yeah. will.
0: No, that's I I totally understand that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and be like, okay, fine. Here you guys, <laughs> say. No, I get it. I'm all, I hear that. So a thing that was happening during COVID that I'm sure could still happen to a certain degree is people, theaters were renting out theaters. Mm-hmm. You could rent out a whole auditorium to yourself. So in a hypothetical situation, you rented out a theater. Mm. You can put on two movies. The theater's full of your friends. What, what two movies you put on?
1: Yeah, I didn't have a great answer to this one, unfortunately. I'll say there's there's two that I've already talked about. Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 would be my first answer. Because, like I said before, the first Godfather is incredible. Yeah. And there's a debate in my family over what's better, Godfather Part 1 or Godfather Part 2? Because Part 2 that's is a, also that's an a incredible That's a very movie. common debate, actually. Yeah. The second one is just so good when you see the background to Vito and him coming to America and establishing his roots. and It's just such, such a good movie. And so... I think it would be great, especially people who have never seen The Godfather. If you can get them to pay attention for, I don't know, (laughs) eight hours, or you would need
0: to watch six hours of film and
1: movies, that would be a really
0: good time. (laughs) Final question, probably the hardest one. What is objectively the best film ever made? Didn't have to be your favorite, but just what's the best? Yeah. I. I had a hard time with this, as I'm sure everyone does. It's kind of meant...
1: There's like there's one <laughs>
0: question that's like meant to be just really hard, and it's this one. Yeah. Here's,
1: here's my cop-out answer. The Godfather. I would normally say The Godfather, but I'll try to come up with different movies for sure. this question. Yeah. yeah, The Godfather is great. You know, Star Wars are great. The Dark Knight is really great. Hamilton. So... This is not a movie <laughs> per se. However, they did film a performance of it put on Disney Plus, and it's it, about two hours long. So like, you can watch it like you would watch any other movie. And <laughs> let me tell you, Hamilton is perfect. Every note, every word, all of the the parallels that go on. Lin Manuel Miranda. Paints with the way that he uses music, and makes you feel emotions that you never could have felt before. Um, I think they said there's upwards of over a hundred motifs in Hamilton. Good grief! That includes phrases that you know are in the songs, yeah. but also little musical cues that are just subconsciously playing with your yeah. brain. And it is genuinely incredible. I've
0: gone this long without seeing it. But again, I'm not like a musical guy, so Mm -hmm. I've had a pretty good excuse as to like, yeah, "Yeah, no thanks, I'm not a musical guy. Yeah, That's usually good enough for most
1: people. Yeah, I haven't seen it in person yet, but Lena and I have tickets in a couple months from now, this spring, to go and see it at the Fox, because it's coming to St. Louis. Okay, cool. So I'm very, very excited about that, but... I've listened to the soundtrack more times than I can count. And
0: most people, have. the
1: soundtrack is the whole movie. So if you watch the soundtrack from start to finish, you will, it's like watching. Essentially have seen the movie. Yeah. And I will recommend that to people. Honestly, it's almost a better experience than watching the movie because you don't get distracted by the dancing. You can really take in every word of the song. So I highly recommend that. That's my cop out answer. Um, I have a couple other better answers but I think Hamilton is a perfect musical okay um also shout out to The Sound of Music which I wouldn't yeah. choose this as my answer but to me it is also like a perfect movie once again another musical yeah no it's very good the music is perfect the characters are perfect Julie Andrews is so talented just amazing she's in so way. talented and I, I I do I love that a lot I would also say shout out to Gladiator because yeah. Gladiator is an incredible movie. Russell Crowe is at his best.
0: Walking um, Phoenix is very good. Mm-hmm. Any movie that has any kind of mention of Marcus Aurelius does, does <laughs> well for me. So
1: the the quotable lines in that movie are incredible. Yeah. So that that might be my answer as well. But what I think I'm gonna officially go with is the live action Cinderella. Really? And let me defend myself. Lily James as Cinderella. Okay. This is probably my favorite Disney movie of all time. And as I said before... That surprises me. So it, just based on everything you've said. Yeah. It is, once again, arguably a perfect movie. I love every single thing about it. The That movie, once again, this could probably be my answer to all of your questions. I laugh at that movie. I cry in that movie, it is super nostalgic to me, it has a fantastic ending, many scenes in that movie are just beautiful, they look like paintings, the shots, the way it's framed is fantastic, the musical cues, that movie adds to the lore of Cinderella and does not take away. Uh, I had it written down for one of the movies that surprised me the most, because when Disney started releasing live-action versions of their old animated movies, the first one they put out was a movie called Maleficent. And this is my second most hated movie of all time, right after Hoodwinks 2. <laughs> I hate Maleficent because I was so excited about it. She is evil. you know. She's cruel. I just love her character. And I went and saw that movie, and it just made me so frustrated. It made me so angry. They completely changed the original story, and not just changed it. They spat on the original story and made all the good characters from the original look like evil people, and it was just dirty and grimy in a way that just had no respect for the original. I hated it. I genuinely hated it. Um, Parts of it just didn't make any sense to me. I just totally hated it. So when I found out they were coming out with a live-action Cinderella movie, I had just the lowest of low expectations. And then I went into this movie, and it blew my mind. It, it was so, so good. Um, it explains things from the original that you never knew that you wanted explained. Mm-hmm. Um, the things they changed were beautiful. And it's one of the few quote-unquote princess movies that builds up the prince, um, I forget the name of the actor, but it's Richard Madden. Richard Madden. He's also from Game of Thrones. Okay. And he is incredible. And he plays the prince, and his name in this movie is Kit. And for the first time ever, and I would say almost any princess movie, you see a prince that your young men should want to imitate. This dude is loyal, he is courageous he is you know humble at the same time like you get these princes and they're all like want to slay the dragon and you know run their kingdom and all this kind of stuff this dude is humble which you don't get in your princes and his relationship with his father the king who ends up passing away in this movie like when the king dies like it's emotional and he realizes he's just a dad who wants his son to be happy and all this kind of stuff And I think it really is Richard Madden who brings it home for me because, you know, I love Cinderella and I love her story. But for the first time, I saw a man as a prince and it made my childhood movies better. You know, that's what I want out of these live action versions. I want them to make the original better. The new live action Beauty and the Beast with Emma Stone. Emma Watson. Emma Watson, sorry. It
0: was supposed to be Emma Stone. Really? Yeah, actually, they... Their roles in both uh, Beauty and the Beast and La La Land were going to be the opposite. Really? Yeah, but they
1: like, – I can't imagine Emma Watson and La La But Emma
0: Watson had already signed on to do Beauty and the Beast. And likewise, Emma Stone had already signed on to do La La Land. So they ended <laughs> up <laughs>
1: – Well – Turned out working all right. God's plan. It all works out the <laughs> way it's supposed to. Because I'm, both those movies are perfect.
0: I'm so amazed at the cast they get for that. it's. I'm looking at this one for Cinderella, and it's really surprising to me on, on the surface that Kate Blanchett plays the evil stepmother and Helena Bonham Carter plays the fairy godmother. Like, <laughs> that seems like backwards casting to me, but I get it. Like, I
1: can see it working out. And the, the stepmother, another character who in the original is just, like, rude, you know, angry stepmother. Yeah. In this movie, you see her tragedy. Yeah. That she is a widow who lost the love of her life. And then her second marriage married for money. And then he dies as well. And she's broken and lonely. And then you see this woman who's in her house who is beautiful and young and has all this promise. And it's everything that she doesn't have in life. And so you see a genuine conflict set up. Like hmm, she's this old woman without a husband who's lonely who sees her daughters and they're stupid? They're not talented. They're not beautiful. They're everything that Cinderella is, and you're like, you totally understand why she doesn't she like Ella. It, you totally under. You see the grief in her eyes yeah. at the end. It's not just this, you know, stereotypical hate you know, for sake of hate villain. Yeah, you totally understand it, and you don't like her, but that makes you like Ella even more. That through the punishment, she still shows love and compassion and, you know, she's still a servant and they're living at her parents' home. And at one point they ask Ella why she stays. Like, why are you staying in the situation? And she's like, this is the place I was raised. Like, my mother and father, they loved this place. And, like, they're treating it with respect, but I'm still caring for it. And you're like, it's a whole extra layer To this character that you never got in the original animated movie. And if this is the last thing we talk about, I just got to give a huge shout out to Disney. Because I grew up as a Disney kid and I loved all those original Disney films. And I love all the Pixar movies. But what Disney has done in the past 10 years or so is really something. And I want to give them a shout out. Specifically, Moana... Encanto, Inside Out, obviously Cinderella's a part of that. But you're seeing all of these tropes that Disney has lived on for so long. These basic prince, princess stories, you know, the parents die. Everyone jokes about that in Disney movies. You know, the women aren't strong. They all come rescued by a prince. And for the first time, you're getting these movies that totally fit in with everything they've done in the past. But tell these stories now. That hit me as a 23-year-old married man in a way that children today can enjoy them the same way I enjoy them. Yeah. And that's always been the promise of Disney is that they're going to provide content. They're going to build places where parents and kids can enjoy together. And they're absolutely doing that. Moana is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. If I had to say what arguably my favorite animated film right now, once again, Slim and Will my That's fair. That's um, fair. The music in that is incredible. The story in general is incredible. There's not really a villain. Like, the villain is Tafiti, who she gives the heart to at the end, and you realize, like... It's a big misunderstanding. Well, yeah, not even that, but it's like... It's about losing your heart. Like, what happens yeah. when you feel like the world has spited you? Like, I don't know. I just think it's incredible. And in Kanto, obviously... It's a movie about family trauma being passed down from generation to generation. And it's also women rolling random. But the the acting is incredible, the voices they got, the singers are wonderful, the music is fantastic. But at the end of the day, it's a story about family trauma. And you see that in all of the specific characters, you know? The sister who's so strong and feels like all the burdens are being placed on her. Like yeah. that's such a clear metaphor, but there's no villain in that movie. The villain is the grandmother who <laughs> oppresses in many ways all of the members of the family and um, has these lofty high expectations for a whole family. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's about you know a family coming together and understanding one another. And you know Cinderella in many ways is the embodiment of that shift in my opinion. It's everything Disney, when they do it right, can be. Yeah. It's, you know, I know for a long time we made these movies like Snow White, which are, you know, just, you know, your basic, you know, 60s type of, you know, structure, gender rules, all this kind of stuff. And you can see Disney can be true to the roots and show, you know, strong characters and great music and all these kind of things, but also tell a story and give morals that can touch people of all ages. So... I, and at the end of the day, if we're going to close this podcast soon, I think that's what movies do when they're at their best. Yeah. You know, they tell a great story, but they also make you feel something. They make you feel scared. They make you laugh. They make you want to cry, but they also tell you a lesson, like with something you can take away from them. Your life is different because you watch that movie. Yeah. I heard a great quote that said, You'll be the same person today. You'll be the same person in five years as you are today except for the people that you meet and the books that you read, which really means you're going to be the same person later as you are now. The only things that really change you are the people in your life and the media you consume. Yeah. In this case, it's books, but it's also movies. You yeah. know? What we decide to watch, what we value and all that kind of stuff, it shapes who we are. And I appreciate a good movie – Because in many ways, it's a reflection of who I am. And if you're a person that loves movies, you can tell a lot about a person by the movies that they enjoy. And we shape the media around us, and the media around us shapes who we are. And so we all have a responsibility to do it wisely.
0: That's the point. That's why I do this.
1: (laughs) That's That's the mission.
0: Cut. That's it. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) That this has been a pleasure. You, you put yourself down at the beginning of this, but you've spoken very eloquently this whole time. About
1: It's been wonderful, man. I've been looking forward to this all day. You did I could so, talk for two more hours.
0: You, I believe it. You did such a, you really put on a great show, man. What did I tell you guys? I'm telling you, I had such a blast recording this. It was so much fun. I'm really glad I got to sit down and do this with Nick. Um, I don't have too much to say. Uh, There's really nothing to add. I don't have anything planned to say, but uh, I I can't wait to come back at you next week. I'll have another movie to talk about. Um, By the time next week's podcast comes out, Watford will have played their next match against Burnley. Um, I'm very nervous about this game. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, We lost our last match, and and that dropped us into the relegation zone. We lost that to Norwich, who was, who was in the relegation zone, but beating us pulled them out. And uh, we, we fired Claudio Ranieri, the head coach. We hired Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington uh, as head coach and assistant. Ray Lewington used to coach at Watford back in the 2000s, so it's cool to have him back. I don't know, man. It's it's really hard for me to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We have 18 games left, and 18 games are a lot, but... And that, that's four months. We've got four months to the end of the Premier League season. But right now, I feel defeated. Like, you know, this is the winter. And when it's winter, you cannot imagine what summer feels like. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going down. So, I don't know. I, f- I figured I had to say something. And I've been thinking about that lately. And I, yeah, 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 I'm nervous about it. So, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in every week. Uh, I'll be back at you next week. Be good to yourselves, be good to each other, be kind, and until next week.